Hello, welcome to episode three of the Beyond Busy podcast. My name is Graham Alcott, and on this episode, I'm talking to Heather Urquhart, one of the leading lights on the UK's improvised comedy scene. I'm actually recording this little intro in Toronto in a hotel room right next to the road in downtown Toronto. So if you hear loads of traffic noise in the background, that's why. And I'm here to promote Productivity Ninja, catching up with Dawn O'Connor, who runs Think Productive Canada, doing a couple of interviews and bits and pieces. Uh, So I've just got here, just shook off the jet lag, I think, taking the vitamins, taking the melatonin, all that sort of stuff. And uh, Canada's really cold right now. I was here, similar time last year I was here, and it was like 30 degree heat. It was really lovely outside. And I arrived last night into Union Station. It was a blizzard, like literally a blizzard. And it didn't help that the cab drivers didn't seem to know where my hotel was as well. So wandering around in the snow, snow last night after a long flight was uh, was kind of kind of fun. <laughs> it was kind of the most memorable part of the trip so far, probably. You're not going to forget that one in a hurry. Anyway, Heather Urquhart. So she is uh, just a fascinating human being and uh, an improviser, probably best known for being part of the Maydays, which is Brighton's leading uh, improvisation troupe. She's also part of Showstoppers, the Olivier Award-winning Showstoppers, who perform in the West End, and they perform entire musicals off the back of one-word suggestions, like two hours long, proper musicals, and it is incredible if you haven't seen it. Make sure you do get along and check out Showstoppers. Uh, She also performs a show called 10,000 Million Love Stories, which is just two people improvising love stories. Uh, And she's also a teacher of improvisation and travels around the world uh, teaching improv and also learning it from different people and uh, just generally being immersed in that world so why I really wanted to get Heather on the show you'll hear from this podcast she's someone who wears an incredible number of hats and just has a very positive take on the world as well as being chronically busy it's always a lot of fun sitting down for a pint or a cup of coffee with Heather but it's always a bit of a nightmare trying to arrange it Uh, so I just wanted to talk to her about that as well and I think beyond all of that, someone who really follows her passion and finds a way of making a living out of that as well, which I think is is very inspiring, I'm sure, for a lot of people. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Heather Urquhart. So just paint a picture for those people who have never come across improvisation and what improv is. So just paint a picture of what does a Mayday show involve? What does it look like? Just... Yes, I should say my main company is the Maydays, which is how we met, of course, um, because we run a lot of courses and training and shows in Brighton, um, and all of those shows are completely improvised, so you'd go in and you wouldn't know what that performance was going to be beforehand, which um, scares a lot of people, (laughs) Um, but I find it very exhilarating uh, to do and to watch, actually. I love um, that. So, yeah, we've got various different shows that take different forms. One of them is called Confessions, so the audience would come in and they write down terrible things they've done in their life, and then we use that to inspire the show. Um, Another one's based on that day's local newspaper, so that's very spontaneous. We've got one... We used to do based on finding out stories about people's next door neighbours, which we haven't done for a while. <laughs> um, but yeah, anything. Yeah, sort of, oh, yeah, it's great. We called it yeah. the Seagull Has Landed because uh, um, yeah, it was yeah. quite Brighton based. Um, but that's the shows I do with the Maydays and trainings. But then I also do Showstopper, the improvised musical. With that one, you get like a title for a musical and just go. 
Um, I do another one which is an improvised play based on the audience's love stories. And how long are those shows? So you get like a one word or a one phrase kind of suggestion of what it's going to be about. And yeah. How long do you, you guys improvise off the back of that? So I guess the longest show I do is a two-act musical, which would be like two hours, like yeah. 45 minutes on either side, full story, full band, mental. Um, <laughs> but then... Other ones might be what we'd call more short form things. We just do, you know, like uh, little sketches that happen to be improvised. So, yeah. um, which it, I guess the closest thing a lot of people, if you've not come across this, would be would be like whose line is it anyway? Yeah. Right, that whole sort of idea of there's a, a suggestion and then you do something with that. But like, yeah. slightly biased, but like way better than whose line is it? Anyway, oh, that's right? nice. So, yeah, and particularly the long form stuff where it's like doing a whole hour or two hours off the back of one thing. Yeah, it's what's really interesting. So. I think is that um, that thing of like defining like what a show is um so quite often you know if we're submitting something to a festival or something it'll say tick tick this box is it comedy is it theater they're the two sort of things it sort of falls into and it's really difficult to say because most of the time (laughs) it ends up being funny just because a lot of humor is about surprise and the unexpected and obviously that happens a lot when you're improvising but um really if it's truly improvised you know it might end up having a lot of pathos or maybe no laughs at all Mm. you know it might just end up being more of a theater thing and I guess just the whole notion of improvising an entire show from scratch and yeah. taking that sort of idea. So I think what interests me about the work that you do is you your style of work is often that you'll take that idea uh, of, of the yes and, which is a big yeah. improv thing, and then just apply that to your whole life in terms of some of the other projects and stuff that you take on. But I guess for most people, that's like quite a scary thing of not having a sense of sort of clarity and certainty about what even the show is going to look like you know there's no rehearsal well there's rehearsal but there's not a rehearsal of lines or learning of lines and so you don't really know how much you're going to be on stage or how yeah you're going to be on stage and things like that the analogy we always use is like um if you're on a sports team like when you did the practice you know you might stay stand in the cage and do your batting practice and your press-ups and stuff so you're practicing the the tools to put the the match together but you don't know how the match is going to turn out kind of thing so most people would find that being the basis of their lives really terrifying, right? Just the idea of you're living with, just inherently living with uncertainty with everything that you do mm. and unpredictability and having to just totally listen and react and be in that sort of zone. So I'm just wondering when you started to do that as your job and as your life, whether that was scary to you and whether it, like, did it come more naturally to you? Like, um, I trained in theatre and I remember the first time I sort of came across the concept of improvisation as something you could actually do as performance as opposed to just like exercises yeah. or something that I felt completely exhilarated and that I found the thing that I wanted to do. Mm. Um, saying that, it still terrifies the... Can I swear? Yeah, you can say whatever you like, yeah. It terrifies the shit out <laughs> of me. I still get really scared. I get stage fright and I do sometimes... It, it, it takes me by surprise sometimes. So we yeah. did a comedia show last month and it was full, but, you know, we play that all the time. We, you know, we're used to it. And I've yeah. been doing that show for years and I suddenly got like clammy palms and I suddenly had this kind of like, oh, I'm about to go and perform to a full room of people and I literally don't know what I'm going to do. What am I doing? Why would I do this? Um, and then I did it and I had a lovely time. And that is, that's every show for you in terms of like the like that's the deal but then why why do certain shows give you the heebie-jeebies whereas other ones you're fine with i don't know it's interesting like i think what i'm interested in talking about today is sort of 
the idea of improvisation like off stage is on because mm, you were saying yeah. how do you live with that idea yeah. of uncertainty and so it's like well doesn't everyone like no I don't think they do and I think people strive to avoid it as much as possible but you don't know so, what's going to happen yeah I, yeah true to some extent I think people you know certainly if I compare what you do to what I do I can put a bit of a script together mm. in terms of what projects am I doing over the next six months you know what things am I going to need to say yes to or say no to. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like, I, I see you as being someone who's very busy. Mm. Uh, I see you as having a huge sense of purpose in the work that you do. Yeah. And I always come away from conversations with you with that kind of similar sense of exhilaration around, oh, you're just doing all this kind of open to possibility, cool stuff. Um, but then I think by the same token, there is just... You know, I, I couldn't do what you do in terms of like just going on stage with nothing. And I, you know, I've done it like I've um, I've had lessons from the May Days and experienced what that's that's like. But I think the idea for me of being in that uh, zone like regularly and, and also to some extent um, the way you improvise off stage. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't think I'd be that comfortable with with that, you know. So I'm just so I just find it really fascinating. And like, yeah, would love to get into some of that as part of this conversation as well. Yeah, because that, that, that thing you're talking about before, the idea of yes and. So we, we do a lot of training with people and work with people. Maybe they like have an outcome that they're looking for, if it's an organisation or a business or something where they're like, you know, we want better communication, for example. Or um, in the example of Think Productive, you know, a couple of your guys have been along and just done an improv course and then drawn their own conclusions at the end of that, of what that gave them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think one of the things I really believe in is if you're, I don't want to say teaching, but if you're facilitating people in improv and the sort of philosophies behind it, that seeing it, yes, and being really present with people, not having an agenda in the way that you communicate with them, um, reacting in the moment, being open to possibilities. Um, I think it's important to have that go through everything you do. Yeah, completely. Um, because if you if you can listen to people really well on stage and react like, like lightning, but you can't do that in real life, I think something something's going terribly wrong. Yeah, and, and also you know using it. So we've brought the Maydays in at Think Productive and had you guys come and do work with our team, and people again find that terrifying. But I think at the end, certainly for the people whose job it is is to be on stage and deliver a set presentation or set slides or whatever mm. to know that you can get up in front of people and deliver nothing or de- or create something out of nothing um one of the big learnings for us in, t- in terms of how improvisation becomes transferable is like well if i can do that i can stand up there where i already know the slides and i already feel really confident with the subject matter and something small goes wrong yeah because you still have that sort of bigger script in a way that bigger kind of sort of uh, backbone to, to, to yeah. fall back on you know, but just the, the idea of tasting what that's like to have complete uncertainty. Yeah. I think really, really, you know, can be a very transformative thing, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting though, isn't it? Because being in that place of being okay with not knowing is, is challenging. And it, it will always be challenging. But I suppose mm. that's what you sort of train that muscle for. A bit like, well, you know, m- mindfulness practice or... Anything like that, even yoga, I think, to an extent, does that thing of, it, it's a good practice, it makes you feel good, but the moment you stop doing it, like, it's not like you do it for a bit and then yeah, you've got that tick, yeah. I've learned French, I can speak French now, like, you need to keep keep exercising those muscles, and I think even when I've had a few weeks off of, like, not being um, 
doing rehearsals particularly because teaching I tend to do very regularly but like putting myself in that position of being vulnerable and um, at risk if I don't do it very often then the the barriers do come up quite quickly again yeah yeah so I did a show on Friday where it was like the world premiere of this new that sounds very grand (laughs) it was a premiere of this new Mayday show that we're doing in Edinburgh and it was the first uh, one of them I'd done so I was feeling you know it's it's all improv but this one's called Happily Never After so it's based around um, sort of Danny Elfman music which is like Tim Burton sort of dark gothic sort of fairy tale type stuff it's really fun um, but improvised so we were doing it and um, it was very funny because there were a few people in the audience who I massively respect like three of the girls from the showstoppers who are brilliant like amazing TV careers and, and my friends but I just really respect them yeah. so whenever I have sort of peers in or people who I look, kind of look up to that it's always a little bit in my head of worrying about doing a good job which is mm. the last thing you want to be thinking about yeah. when you're improvising <laughs> and there was this one moment in the show where I walked across the stage doing like this narration bit because we put a bit of narration into the show we step out of the action and then this happened and I was walking across the stage trying to be all like dark and mysterious and I walked directly into the curtain like right in my <laughs> face into the wing and it was the biggest laugh of the whole show <laughs> because it was like clearly a thing that wasn't supposed to happen slapstick and for a moment, like for like point one of a second, I totally like died inside and wanted the floor to open up, you know, that feeling. Yeah. But I've just become trained in kind of, oh, well, you know, so I just kind of smiled at the audience and kind of went, you know, kind of let them in on my embarrassment a little bit and then just and then yeah. just carried on. And I think that is a really important lesson for, for life, isn't it? You know, I mean... So you had two choices in that in that very brief moment, which is like, I can either take myself way too seriously here or I can use this to create something wonderful. And yeah. actually, I had a really similar example um, on Saturday. I did a, did a keynote on Saturday at this conference and the next speaker after me uh, wanted to make this point around uh, getting up and moving around and, and sort of how that affects your body and how that affects your attention and stuff. And so she had this video, which was going to be... Um, it was going to be, uh, I think it was like Chubby Checker doing the twist okay, kind of thing. Yeah. And what happened was the the video played, but it played on the other screen and not on the big screen that everyone could see. And suddenly, spontaneously, the whole audience was like, well, let's just do the twist. And, started, oh my God. and it was this beautiful thing because it was obviously not, you know, there was supposed to be, she was like, there are actions and there are things. And then within a few seconds she realised she was making that same choice and was yeah. just like well this is cool let's do yeah. and it was probably one of the, my highlights of the day was yeah. just this like human spontaneous decision of collectively can't... let's just go with that and then you know it's unpredictable and it's not what was meant to happen but yeah. it's beautiful and... yeah and you can't you can't replicate that that feeling of spontaneity and um, you know what's actually happening now I think a lot of the thing that excites me about improv on stage and off is just it's just acknowledging what's actually happening mm. and not trying to fight against yeah. it, basically. There's an expression we use all the time uh, in improv, which is hold on tightly, let go lightly. Yeah. Um, which is sort of going with something with attack and passion and energy, but, you know, you can't control anything. So when things don't go your way, you just have to let go, go with the flow, basically. And also, I think, yeah, hold on tightly, let go lightly, probably a really good metaphor and motto for people navigating corporate cultures right where it's like you have your agenda you have your thing that you want to get done but then actually if that slightly changes into something else and that's still useful then 
let go lightly, just go along with that and, yeah. you know, sort of pull back, you know. The really interesting thing for me about working in corporate with improv is um, every time we do it, it's massively helpful to the people involved. And a lot, we, we come up against a lot of cynicism beforehand. Um, but I'm thinking about how to say this sensitively. Occasionally when you get the people that kind of are like folded arms furrowed brow like massively closed body language and everything Mm -hmm. and they're just not receptive to you it's so interesting because then they're most often the people that really need to put themselves in that space yeah and 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 don't or can't or choose not to you know when you can occasionally crack through um it's really interesting to see that change there's also a cat featured in this podcast yeah <laughs> talking so, uh, of uh, what's my, happening my now my cat is uh, scratching away at the door and you can probably hear that in the background i'm just wondering whether we just pause the thing and i go and put her in a room upstairs yeah do it do it yeah. <laughs> uh, so where were we so we we're talking about being in the moment and i think just this whole idea of uh, like how you make some of those choices around the work that you choose to do. Yeah. Um, and I'd love for you to just talk a bit more about some of those, some of the odd stuff that you do with Joe and some of those oh, yeah. uh, fun experiment things. Because I think what's interesting to me about that is that that feels to me very much like you, like following some of those yes ands yes. and following your passion for improvisation. Yes. And like I'm sure some of those things are not motivated at all by money or what they no. might lead to financially. No. Uh, so I'm interested to know why you make some of those decisions and like why that's important and how, yeah, how do you, how do you come up with those ideas as okay. well? Okay. So um, yeah, another thing I do is um, the musical director of the Maydays. It's called Mr. Joe Samuel. He's a genius. He's a, a piano player and violin player, but he doesn't play the violin that often. And we have a collaboration called Open Your Mouth and Sing. Uh, we've written a book called Sing It and we tend to uh, do mostly workshops together our passion being um, allowing people the freedom to just open their mouth and make whatever noise comes out (laughs) and and make whatever content comes out and celebrating that Um, and we found it's really powerful because a lot of people have a really interesting relationship with their voice Um, you know most people have a story about someone once told me I couldn't sing and they haven't done it mm. since and it seems to link in with a lot of people just like shutting down creatively so we have a lot of people who come who are like massively like what is this weird thing someone's made me do and they come and then they just have a brilliant time and it, it quite often opens up lots of doors for them and in conjunction with that joe and i do a podcast where we try to do as many sort of weird musical experiments that will definitely go wrong as possible. So mm. we try and have a meeting like every few months where we come up with a bad ideas meeting where we right. list a bunch of ideas that definitely won't work and then we try and do them. And um, I remember listening to one of those which was basically a bunch of... I, I was listening to it so I couldn't tell, but probably about 10 or 15 people all stood in... Uh, was it a Bavsik, like in the one of the college rooms there? And yeah. basically all stood around and it was just like, right, we're going to press record, just sing. And yeah. Obviously, no one had, you know, music or a yeah. structure or whatever. But it was fascinating to listen to, just like some of those ebbs and flows. Yeah. Of people just blurting out words and sounds and all yeah, this kind of with, stuff. Yeah, the weird thing about that one is we've done a few, we call them psychedelic singing experiments. It's the psychedelic singing experiments. <laughs> but we've done a few now where we, we took out different factors. So now we tend to do them in the dark mm. because that made people really tune in and listen. And we've also taken out words sometimes. <laughs> so we tend to now do them wordlessly and in the dark. Yeah. 
And again, people really enjoy them. I've actually got to the point where I can't bear anymore. <laughs> <laughs> because it's really weird what happens. Like, it often... Um, ends up in a lot of chanting yeah like when lots of like we've, we've done them like with 60 people you know down at um leela this is a festival that the may days run where we've done it and um yeah it's really it's just really interesting what happened you've got 60 people singing in the moment collaborating in the dark There's, you cannot control it and as the person facilitating it like i've got this need for it to be like beautiful or good yeah. um but maybe that's the reason i should keep doing it because when it starts to go completely off the rails i'm sort of there going but i need to help facilitate control whatever and I'm like no can't yeah so that's just an interesting feeling letting all those sort of feelings pass through you but it might be I think people doing it must have it the same feelings I don't know oh completely and that's certainly like my experience of of doing improvisation as well is that and um you know one of the teachers had this whole thing of like a thousand tiny funerals and the whole idea of you have this great idea and then it doesn't go quite in the direction that you want it to and so you have to just be like Oh, well, that was a good idea, but there'll be others. And, oh, I really like that expression. You know, that sort of control thing of yeah. just wanting to, you know, you can see the most perfect ending to this story, but yeah. you're not the only person creating it. And you, you know, So what makes you what makes you come up with those um, uh, ideas and put time into those things when, you know, surely there's also lots of other ways that you could spend that time. I, and I know you said to me, uh, a couple of weeks ago I'm like three months behind yeah on everything I do so like so just tell me about the idea of taking on lots of those projects and why are they particularly important to you well they have I mean this, the idea of yes and has its pros and its cons mm. I th- was I saying to you last week I wanted 2016 to be the year of no because um, <laughs> I've been saying yes to things for like 15 years and sometimes it gets me in trouble and can you just explain yes and for those so yes and is right? sort of the backbone of improv and it's sort of because improv is so much about working collaboratively. We talk about saying yes to people's ideas and offers. Um, and another sort of fancier way of saying is accept and build. Yeah. So in a scene with someone, um, they'll offer you something and it's just about you taking that offer in and running with it. But, you know, in a meeting, it might just be like literally saying the words yes and adding something to it. But then when you take that vocabulary mm. out, it's like the spirit of yes and sort of accepting people's ideas, building on them, letting go of judgment working truly collaboratively and also learning to say yes and to yourself right so getting rid of your inner critic yeah so like if an idea comes before you shut it down you go no hang on i'm going to say yes to my own self and what can i add to it before i start to sort of criticize so it's just really great for creativity and support working collaboratively collaborating with yourself if that makes any sense (laughs) so and i suppose so following the yes and as soon as you get you know, a sort of smidgen of an idea of let's sing, let's get 20 people together and sing in the dark. Yeah. Then rather than, as most people would do with that, go, everyone would find that terrifying, let's not do that. You go, yes, and let's do it in three weeks' time and book a room. <laughs> like yeah. You sort of use the yes and yeah, I, spirit to, to drive a lot of those things. Yeah, I just like making things happen. And the other thing I like to do is uh, yes and other people when they're not expecting it. So <laughs> I quite often chat to people. Um, the example that popped into my head was a chap called Gus Ferguson. He lives in Brighton. And I was talking to him a few years ago and he said, I've got this idea to do like improvised shadow puppets. Um, <laughs> and I said, right, you're doing it. And I just, <laughs> I just booked him into this theatre space. Um, Amazing. And he did it. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. But he was like, I would never have done that unless you just said it's happening. Wow. It's happening on this date. Because, um, you know, we have so many ideas in life. And I think that idea of 
hiding them in a room and cooking them away until they're perfect and then only revealing them to the world at that point at which mm. they're perfect basically means a lot of people's best ideas never ever Completely. come to light you know and sometimes it's best to just chuck stuff out there and, and learn from doing it wrong really mm. we, we're we quite good at every now and again we'll get a coffee in and we'll yeah. you know we'll go for a pint or whatever yeah but like like you're one of the, the few people whose diaries is more of a nightmare than mine I think so so I'd love to know like is is there a a thought process behind trying to say no this year which is like I just want to be able to sit at home and not be so busy and just tell me about busyness and you yeah I mean busyness is a huge problem for me um and it's an ongoing battle because I really enjoy being busy mm. but it's definitely affected like my life over the years like my personal life my my family life you know I, I think most of my friends and family are very understanding about it but I'm not sure I would be like I'm always busy mm. and one of the reasons we get coffees and pints in is because you're quite a proactive person who'll be like are you free yeah. and I'm because I'm a yes and person I'm like yeah what are you doing tomorrow at <laughs> 2.30 and probably what I should be doing in those moments is going to hang on a minute you're three months behind yeah, um, right. don't do that but I quite often just follow what's in front of me um, and one of the things I want to balance this year is sort of thinking about following the fun and the shiny thing and the exciting thing and the um, creative thing balanced with the sort of more, the bigger picture. I'm not, I'm, le- I'm trying to learn to think more strategically. Mm. Um, and what's, what's the bigger picture for you? I suppose it's like, um, so here it is, I suppose it's balancing the philosophy of what I do with the practicality of what I do and, and um, earning a living and putting a roof over my head. I mean, I'm certainly... Um, I'm not in this game for this the fat stacks of cash because otherwise I would have chosen to do something different. <laughs> but on the other hand, I do value what I do and I value myself. So yeah, it's it's sort of balancing all those different things and to be honest, just having so many things that I want to do and just looking at the hours in the day and going something's got to give. But at the moment I've got yeah, um the Maydays showstoppers. I'm doing an improvised Enid Blyton show. <laughs> I'm about to go on a six weeks tour with Jules to do the Love Story show all around the world, which is really exciting. Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, back in Brighton in London, we've got the Maydays, which is you know become a school really, where we have uh, at least six classes a week running. Uh, and and then, you, don't, you don't teach all of those, no. just to be clear. No, I don't <laughs> teach really like, well, there's a, there's a group of us that teach. Yeah. I also teach for Hoopla in London, nursery in London. I have a band called the New York Dollies. And then on top of that, I sing backing vocals for this band called The Fiction Isle, who have just had one of their singles playlisted on Radio 6, which is hilarious because <laughs> that's the thing that I put probably the least time into and yeah. it's ended up doing really well and now some shows <laughs> And I look at all those things and I think I love them all so much. Mm. How do I, what do I say no to? And I find mm. that really, really difficult. Something's got to give. And and then on top of that, thinking about work-life balance. Yeah. When you love what you do, mm. it's very confusing and tricky to sort of separate that out and, and sort of go, hang on a minute, I'm... You know, I'm doing a show and I'm, I'm having that social contact with people that I really like and they're creative and they're fun and they're brilliant people, but that's not a replacement for uh, real family time and friends' yeah. time that you have to sort of enforce time with friends that don't do what you do. Otherwise, it, you can become a bit ungrounded, I think. 
Yeah, and there's that Winston, Winston Churchill quote, which is like, if you find something that you can work on that you love, then you'll never work again. Or yeah. something with... I may, may have just paraphrased that, but Paraphrase it, it's that way. idea. So this is Heather. I hope you're enjoying this one so far. When I first put together the idea of Beyond Busy... It was one of the first things I wanted to do was to was to interview someone who was a leading improviser because I think it's a really interesting mindset and can really add a lot to your game in terms of upping your productivity, helping you be more creative. It's great for teams. It's one of the really interesting things about improv actually is the fact that when when you think about art, when you think about uh, comedy, stand-up comedy, theatre, Hollywood, you know, visual arts, all that sort of stuff, it's very much centred around the individual and around, you know, the, the person who creates the art being the star in some way or the director being the star in some way. Whereas improv is much more based around ensembles. It's, you know, it's around the team, making the team look good, making the other person on stage look good and... You know, even doing that sometimes at the cost of making yourself look good. It's about supporting each other. And I think it's just a really, really fascinating area psychologically just to explore. And so if if it terrifies you, if the idea of getting on stage and having no script and just improvising something really scares the hell out of you, number one, go do that because it's really great to do some of the things that, that scare you. And I can really vouch for the fact that Yes, it will probably still scare you by the end of the course, but you'll be really comfortable in that zone and being able to do that, which is just a really liberating thing. But if you can't get over that and you really don't want to get on stage and do it and you have no time and whatever else, there are loads of really good books that you can read around this. And one I'd really recommend, I just read this over uh, sort of Christmas and New Year, uh, is a book simply called Yes And. You'll, you'll have heard Heather talk about the idea of Yes And several times on this podcast. Uh, but it's Yes And, Lessons from the Second City. Uh, it's by Kelly Leonard and Tom Yorton. So if you want to just find out a bit more, that would be the book I would recommend as my kind of number one book. Uh, there's also just loads of other resources out there that you'll find if you put, you know, uh, improvisation into Amazon. I'm sure you'll come up with um, just a load of really good stuff. So Yes And, Lessons from the Second City. Uh, that's my book tip from Kelly Leonard and Tom Yorton. And because my voice seems to be going here as I'm as I'm trying to get over my jet lag here in Toronto, I'm going to get straight back to the conversation. So here is part two of my conversation with Heather Urquhart. So when you scan, I was going to say you're nine to five, but let's be realistic, you're 7 a.m. to midnight or whatever. Mm. Is there anything in there that feels like work or does it all just feel like this is incredibly exciting, improvised, following the fun sort of stuff? Oh, no, I mean, it does feel like work because I take it very seriously, so... But do you know what I mean? Is there anything in there that you're like, oh, I've got to do that? Like, is there anything that you dread doing or don't well, enjoy the, doing? the administration of what I do mm. is something that I still haven't quite got the balance right of. So we've started to take on more employees in the May days um, last year. So, I mean, for about two years, I was doing everything. Yeah by myself so you were signing all the people up to the courses you yeah, were I was t- booking the venue dates all that sort of stuff and you know, yeah. putting the rotors together around who's performing which yeah. shows and all that and it was insane yeah. and, and, and I was um, pitching for new work going for meetings d- yeah like trying to grow things at the same time as running things and at mm. that point I was really not looking after myself because I was looking after just the maydays yeah. yeah and I'd say the last 18 months I've been a bit more selfish and that's felt really good but it, it's definitely um, 
affected the speed of the growth of my company because I've been thinking less about business and more about creativity. And mm. I'm, and it's a constant ban- balancing act, to be honest with you. And on top of the fact that we now have people to do all that work, I feel more disconnected from it. So like, yeah, yeah. when a student writes in and talks about something that's happened or if I don't know them, it feels very odd to be disconnected because I like mm. to sort of feel really connected to all the people. Actually, your book helped a lot. Yeah, let's talk about Heather and productivity. So, yeah, and this is a fun thing for me because I think there's a there's a kind of mutual loving, isn't there, really, between like the May Days oh, and yeah. Think Productive? Big in time. That, like, lots of the Think Productive team have either been on May Days courses or experienced the May Days in one way or another, yeah. and all really love it. And then, by the same token, my book has kind of gone around oh, a lot of yeah. the May Days performers and stuff. Oh, and so, so two things on that. One is talk about your own productivity, but I'd also love to know if you think there's is there a special sort of extra need amongst people whose job is to say yes and and be really creative towards structure and the stuff that's in my book? Like, is there a thing in there around uh, sort of needing to be reined in a bit and needing to have sort of craving more structure? Definitely. I think a lot of people in the creative industry massively underestimate or probably more accurately undervalue productivity. Mm as a sort of tool and help really I mean I remember when I read your book I was like oh feels really good um <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm actually going to go back and read it at the moment because I've again like let things go a little bit um forest fire yeah with just too many projects and I'm about to move um and because I'm about to be away for six weeks um in fact I said this to you last week I, I I've lost track of the amount of times I've said to people oh, things will be back to normal in a couple of weeks so we can yeah. have that meeting. Or that. Yeah. And then and then realise that they're never going to be back to normal ever again. <laughs> unless just ever. Yeah. Ever. And unless I decide to um, take a more regular job, which I might do. I don't know. Like sometimes I think, oh, it'd be nice to finish at five. I, I don't know if that would ever happen. But, but you know most people listening to this would just say, well, I'm supposed to finish at five and I don't. Right? Yeah. Like, I think there's there's a... There's a grass is always greener element to that. And yeah. actually the reality for, for most people these days, I think, is it's very different. And yeah. people do, in whatever walk of life, have that sense of, in two weeks' time, everything will calm down. It'll yeah. be fine. And it's, like, it's just a myth, isn't it? Basically? Yeah, the demands placed upon everyone these days, I just... I mean, it's no wonder people get so stressed and depressed and everything, isn't it? Which is why it was really nice... Um, reading uh you sending me an email about this uh podcast and i was thinking about the parallels between what you do and what i do and about um uh quality of life really Mm -hmm. and uh productivity and improvisation being those sort of kind of nebulous things but you can apply them to everybody's life and they make everybody's life better so yeah with the with the productivity layered over being self-employed and creative and what I do it's like just felt really good to get a sense of control back really yeah and the idea of reviewing everything and yeah one of the things I remember is sort of saying when you feel like you haven't got time to do reviews you should be doing them like more often and I've and I've totally fell victim to that myself in the last few months so I really want to kind of get back into that and get more of a sense of perspective because there has to be more no um and I think that thing of like letting go of projects and going well I did that for a while I'm going to stop doing it for a while now and I can always come back to it uh, that's actually the big power of review for me is being able to look at your projects list and cross things off that are unfinished and say I no longer need that or I mm. no longer want that or 
I'm going to renegotiate this or there's something else that's come along that's bigger than this or whatever. Yeah. And I think, yeah, if you don't have that time to review often, yeah, you just maybe don't, because that's still a feeling of completion, right? Like mm. the idea of crossing something off the list, there's a feeling of, okay, I've now completed my commitment to it, even if I didn't complete the work. And yeah. So if you don't review, then you just feel like just trying to spin 500 plates as yeah. opposed to 100 or 10 or Yeah, you kind whatever. of feel like you're in a, a cloud and you can't miss a fog hmm. you can't see like the full perspective of everything around you you know because you're just dealing with what, what's right in front of you and so I think for me who enjoys dealing with what's right in front of me yeah. um, that can backfire when I'm not thinking about the bigger picture uh, and do you, do you feel productive yeah I do I go through phases um, I've actually gone through a bit of a phase of not being that productive because um yeah, I I was talking to you about this earlier on. I had a relationship that ended at the end of last year and then everything kind of went up in the air. And I'm about to move to London. I'm about to go on this big tour. So I'm in a kind of limbo state at the moment. But one of the things that I'm that's making me feel um, less grounded is a lack of focused productivity. Mm. And I really, I really, um, I feel better when I'm, you know, more kind of systematic about stuff. And it's always the first thing that goes, isn't it, when you're stressed? So focus productivity, by that, do you mean more structured in your approach to productivity? Yeah, I think time, um, di- diary management is a huge thing for me mm. and sort of sticking to it, really. Because yeah. I think certainly with the admin thing, being like my boulder, to use your, your term, just the general thing of like, it's a sort of low humming noise yeah. that's always in the background. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, and it kind of sits there and I go, well, when I've got time, yeah. I'll chip into that. Um, and actually, it should be top of the list, really, because mm. otherwise things things get lost. Or like meetings with people that could potentially turn into something really exciting. Yeah. Sometimes drop down. And I think that I think that's a fear of failure thing for me. Just a couple of times I've kind of let something kind of drop off. And then I've kind of a few months later gone, that was stupid. Why did you do that? Mm. Um, and quite often it would be looking back on it going, oh, maybe it was too high stakes, you know, which yeah. is interesting for someone who's supposed to like embrace failure and risk and, and yeah. does so on stage all the yeah, time. Absolutely. Okay. And so that maybe leads me on to ask you about success and what does success mean to you? So high stakes in what sense? In a kudos sense, in a money sense, in a, that would be interesting work sense. Like what's the... What's the thing that makes you go, that's the thing that I'm being successful with or that's that's what success means? I remember a few years ago, I had a really strong revelation of realising that I was doing what I wanted for a living <laughs> and going, oh, brilliant, I'm successful. And mm. that was definitely it. Um, so in that sense, I, f- I really feel like I'm successful. I'm massively grateful, really, really grateful um, and always trying to refine that process of, you know, just keeping happy and staying sane and not being too busy and all that. But I'm also, I think, a lot more quietly ambitious, or maybe not even that quietly. I'm very <laughs> ambitious. <laughs> so I'm, I am always kind of thinking, what what can I do? And what's really interesting for me, and I was actually talking to some friends about this on, on Saturday night as we were walking to a show, is... Uh, I'm really lucky to work with the showstoppers because they're basically at the top of their game in Mm. terms of my profession. You know, they are 
the ceiling really in this country. So this is West End, you know. Yeah, West End musical, but improvised. Big theatre, improvised musical stuff, yeah. And also just the last couple of years, I've been incredibly lucky to uh, be on the European improv festival touring circuit Mm. and being asked to, to headline... So Jules and I did our show, like the headline slot in Barcelona Improv Festival in front of, you know, like 500 people or something, but like <laughs> all really, really respected improvisers that we think are fantastic, you know, like it being like an, almost like an industry event in the sense yeah. that everyone does what you do. So that's a clammy hands one then, isn't it? Oh in yeah. Terms of... Oh, I had a great time. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's just interesting with, I think particularly like the entertainment industry about how there is no ceiling really. And also, I think a lot of people who do kind of get to the point of being recognised in the street and everything, mm. you're then doggy paddling to stay in the limelight. Yeah. And being com- everything you do is being compared to the last thing you did. And so on Saturday, I was sort of talking about the fact that, you know, like working uh, particularly with the girls in Showstopper who, when I first started doing improv, I was like, oh, I want their career. And now I work with them and knowing that, you know, they're super talented and so fantastic but they have their struggles about you know Mm. what they're going to do next and managing all the projects and work so hard to to be at that level i wonder if there's like a parallel between fame and money here in that it's like everyone has some idea of what success might mean to them and everyone has some idea of i want to get to that situation financially or whatever yeah and then that doesn't mean that if you're a millionaire you can't be miserable or that you don't yeah once you've made a million look around at your new peer group and think well he's got 10 million i want to get five yeah so there's always that sort of next thing and the same maybe with is true with the whole fame thing of like okay now i'm being recognized now i now i'm sort of making myself miserable trying to stay in that game or wanting to get to the next level or wanting to have a primetime BBC show or yeah. whatever the next thing is. So where do you want the ceiling to be for you? Like, what's the... Um, well, this is what How I was... will you know when you're done? How will you know when you've ticked the box and you can look back on your deathbed and go, yeah, that was, that was a success? God, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> I think by choosing to do to ask myself that question on a daily basis, mm. because in the same sense of like, um, so here's another f- improv philosophy that I like, which I think applies to to this bigger question: is that um, when you go and see an improv show, it will never be repeated again. Yeah. So quite often people go, "Why didn't you record that show? That was mm-hmm. so good. You should have recorded it so like you can put it, you know, you can watch it again and." Obviously, sometimes we record clips for promotional purposes, but basically once it's done, it's done. And what that means is if it was terrible, brilliant, you never have to think about it again. And if it was, if it was a fantastic show, brilliant, you did a fantastic show, but it's it's over. You have, you know, you have to move on. And I I remember hearing um, Billy Bragg uh, being interviewed about Glastonbury and he said that he he headlined one of the smaller stages, I think it's like the John Peel stage or something. And he came off stage and these kids came up to him and they were like, oh yeah, when are you playing? And he's like, well, I've actually just finished, you know, I was just on, you know. Yeah. And they were like, oh, where can we see it? And he's like, you could have seen it if you came. (laughs) But because Glastonbury is now, it's like a TV event as well as it being. So they're thinking, well, it'll be on a multi-platform thing. It'll be on YouTube or it'll be on like iPlayer or whatever. And he's like, no, dude, that was the moment. Like it's, that was it, you know. So I think for me, it's about um, 
not just being present in your day-to-day life but being present in your work and like constantly reinventing yourself I think it's easy to get very tired Mm. with what you do um and I think if we listen to ourselves more and we're more kind of listening to the the soul bird you know that book the soul (laughs) bird there's a little bird inside you I don't know that book oh it's a beautiful book I think it's a children's book but the idea is there's a little bird that lives inside you and there's loads of drawers inside you and loads of cupboards and right (laughs) in the middle is a little bird (laughs) Uh, called the soul bird and it flaps its wings when it's not like having a nice time and if you listen you can sort of hear it flapping and I think that's really true you know so I think I I don't want to retire basically I want to keep Mm. doing what I do until I can no longer physically do it because I love it so much and I don't know what form that will take like I love you just music and creation and that kind of light feeling but I really love it but I also am prepared for the day where I don't and I'll do something different, but I think it's about improvising your life, isn't it? Mm. And sort of going, this this works for me today. And I mean, you know, there's a part of me that just like to go and be a housewife and grow vegetables really? and look after dogs or something. I mean, I think I'd be bored really quickly. Yeah. But so this is a phrase that you've used with me before about things, but I call bullshit on that. Do you? Yeah. Like I just cannot picture you doing that. I kind of feel like that for you is like a. Uh, it's a sort of looking at the opposite of what you have and craving some of those mm, energies, maybe. Maybe. But I think you'd hate it, wouldn't you? Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> I probably would. Um, I wanted to ask you about what your so your so your lifestyle in terms of being busy, doing stuff that you love, having a very sort of wide portfolio of things. Um, like sounds like. You know, it sounds like one that you've really chosen, one that you feel really happy with. Yeah. I'd love to know what you feel like you've sacrificed to to make that happen or to make that possible. And are there things within that that you would really like or sort of really miss? Or I definitely, definitely have sacrificed um, good quality time with family and friends. Mm. Um, and that's something that I want to again work on days off is another one <laughs> I'm trying to put them back in like yeah. for, because again like the thing I was talking about before when you do when you do what you love mm. you're like right I'm going to take a day off and then you're like okay and you sit down and you sort of twiddle your thumbs a little bit uh, and think oh so many things I want to be doing and you start thinking about a new improv idea or like something that you want to work on or whatever. but but I think I'm trying to enforce those now and also just doing stuff like going to I went to a really cool exhibit at the science museum a couple of weeks ago the the cosmonauts exhibition mm. about the russian space race and it cool. was really great um and that was on a, on a, a forced sort of day of f- fun expeditions and I, th- I think i want to kind of try and do a bit more of that because i've definitely sacrificed that because what i do is fun and the the, the gray area is huge stability financial mm. stability you know I don't know what I'm going to be doing next year. I don't always know. I mean, I say I don't know where the rent's coming from. That's an exaggeration. It's not like I'm living hand to mouth, but because I don't have um, an employer or regular work, I just have to be really on the ball with that stuff. Yeah. And that means, again, there's a kind of low humming worry about that um, and making the right choices for for how you earn that money as well because you know I could happily sit around singing weird songs in the dark with people uh, <laughs> you know six days a week now I'd be bored but um, I'd like to do more experimental stuff but then you know you have to balance it out with yeah. with the more sort of lucrative stuff and do you have a 
do you have like a ratio in your head around that of like I'd love to do one day a week of the lucrative stuff and four days of you know do you have a way of thinking about it like that I feel like it changes all the time mm. and again it's sort of that, that thing of just constantly keeping an eye on things and going oh I think I'm doing too much of this at the moment so I need to kind of rebalance it with this and um, and yeah recently I do, I've been doing more sort of uh, non-improvised musical stuff and really enjoying it and thinking hang on no I need to need to make sure there's a little space for this again as well yeah. you know so yeah, um, yeah juggling really mm. juggling reviewing improvising given how much of what you do uh, I was going to say feels like but I know it kind of is play yeah and is very positive and playful mm. and given that most people in jobs and most people of our age miss play and feel like they don't have it do you feel like a grown up that's a good question um no. <laughs> I mean, I, I really do, but also I, I revel in the fact that I don't uh, in some areas. I remember we were doing our festival last year and it was like a Thursday morning and it's a residential and we were doing something silly on like the Thursday of the festival with, with a bunch of about 16 people in the workshop. And in the middle of it, I kind of flew outside myself and went and I said to everyone, do you realise that most people at work now in their offices and we're like rolling around on the floor doing something silly and everyone was like yeah but I think um just to sort of backtrack slightly I, I feel that one of my sort of missions is to take fun seriously mm. and to get other people to take fun seriously like it's not a frivolous thing it's not like a thing you should do in addition to your real life like it's your life mm. uh, and I I think that people sometimes don't realise that you know it's like how does that manifest itself like how do you get people to take fun more seriously I think yeah the, the work we do with the Maydays training adults working with adults working with organisations and getting them to learn how to play and be spontaneous again like that's huge um, and what's interesting is when we're brought in sometimes to work with people who don't know exactly what we're doing or or maybe a bit resistant to it and kind of getting them to relearn those skills and they are skills that people find it really helpful and I've found with that that that's been in response to feedback I've had over like the last six years that mm. people have gone this is really important and I'm like oh is it oh yeah it is <laughs> it's really important yeah. you know um and I had like a couple of years ago um a time where I was I was doing a lot of Mayday's courses. Yeah. And around the same time was when I came up with the idea of doing my 12 months of extreme productivity experiments. Yes. And, you know, one of them being um, make decisions by the throw of a dice. And I wonder whether that there was a real connection between those two things, actually, in the fact that, like, I was reminding myself every week, at least once a week, of the importance of fun by doing a Mayday's class one evening. Yeah. And then going, ah, how can I bring more fun into my regular work and what I do? Yeah. And I think there really is, um, I think there's a real need for people to look at even the most serious stuff through the lens of how do, how do we make this fun? How do we make this interesting? Yeah, like why is fun a dirty yeah. word? Especially in business, I feel like it's like, well, this bit's fun, but don't tell anyone it's fun. Why? Mm, yeah. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a thing at the moment, have you heard this idea of like, um, gamifying? As a Gamification, word. yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's really interesting, sort of motivating and inspiring through that sort of sense of, of play. But also uh, one of the things that really excites me about my work is the lack of tech involved. And mm. um, quite often when we work with people, 
you know, there's no screens, there's no PowerPoint presentations, barely handouts. Um, in fact, there aren't. It's barely a plan. Yeah. Well, there's a plan, but there's a plan yeah. you need to be prepared to deviate from. Otherwise. Right, come on, I remember some of those uh, workshops just like... Uh, you and Jen, and you go, I'm looking at my notebook. What, what, what did we say we were going to do? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but I love that because it kind of feels very, yeah, it's really, let's just follow the moment and where does this need to go? And, that was my biggest thing, actually, with facilitating. I was like, I'd have this thing on a bit of paper and then I'd look down at the paper and look at the room and the people in the room and just rip up the piece of paper <laughs> and just go, no, that's not what these people need. Do You know, follow follow the, the impulse. Mm, yeah. Um, so um, on, on the most basic level sort of standing in a room with people having eye contact yeah. and engaging with each other. Like if you take all, every, if you strip everything back from what I do, I think that's like the heart of it really, like connection, uh, especially in this day and age is just, I feel like it's really important, you know? Mm. Like, and yeah, then, and it's also, I mean, there, there's another parallel between what you do and what we do in that sense of like just getting people to think about their attention and mm. whether you give your attention as a gift to another person or whether you really gift that towards a piece of work that you're doing yeah you know, I mean it's so rare now yeah. isn't it to like to really get someone's full attention and yeah and, and yeah, to spend attention paying well. attention to what the hell is yeah. going on in your life you know like it's easy to sleepwalk through isn't it mm. um even if you even for me who I enjoy what I do you know it's quite easy to sort of accidentally fall asleep and just kind of go into autopilot <laughs> uh and just, yeah, keeping, waking up, checking yourself, looking yeah. around and being aware and, and going, well, this is it, as far as we know. Yeah, the other thing, I'm now about to go off on one a bit more, is, uh, like, gratitude, basically, is the thing I've been really interested in practising more lately. And it comes up again and again, doesn't it, as, yeah. a, as a thing in, that's consistent in people's happiness. But that, that idea I was talking about before, about the, the, the kudos, the prestige thing, like I'll have little goals that I aim for and then I'll do them and then forget about them entirely and be thinking about the next thing. And sometimes I just have to look back and go, hang on, if I look back at what I did this year, there's so many things that I would have never dreamed I could have done before. Mm. And I just have to stopping, taking a moment and being like, I'm so grateful for that uh, is important. Even and if it's, it's a tiny thing, you know. And it's part of your thing about looking at the Heather of three years ago or four years ago and saying you know, four years ago, would have it would have been my sort of wildest dream or, or best case scenario would be to be headlining the Barcelona Improv Festival or playing with showstoppers in the West End. Or yeah. Whatever. And like, are, are you sort of, is that a big motivation for you in terms of like, you know, you've, you follow the things that the year old or two year old Heather would have been like, that's the next thing. That's the next milestone to achieve. Mm. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's important to not make that, or is it? I don't know. Sorry, this is not very well thought through. Um, <laughs> That's what we like, because this is, the, like, I think it's good to learn from you, like, it's good to learn from you questioning yourself about these things. I mean, that's well, how I feel I, about myself I think as well. it's, like, the balance between, like, goal setting and having a sense of purpose, but, like, not having that feeling of looking around at what everyone else is doing and everyone else seeming to be doing better than you, which seems to be, like, a an epidemic sickness in, in the entertainment end industry, mm. you know, um, that everybody seems to, I, mean, I don't suffer from this actually too much because I've sort of trained myself not to, but I know a lot of my friends do suffer from that sort of professional jealousy thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially when it's theatre, when a project just ends and then you're kind of in the wilderness again. Yeah. So, 
And also, it's a very subjective thing, isn't it? Because yeah. then it's like, so-and-so's got that gig, the bastard, you know, and it's like, yeah. I know that they're not very good, I know that this person's better or I'm better or... So, so, yeah, so going back to what we were talking about last week about, like, looking at, working with the people that I uh, wanted to work with and looking at that ceiling and being, what's the next thing? Like, I think that's really important just generally as a human, isn't it? Whether mm. you're running a marathon and trying to do a health goal or just to keep yourself feeling alive yeah. and motivated. Yeah. But it's that thing in balance with, I have to be happy with what I'm doing today. Mm. You know, I can't be thinking about what I'm aiming for next week because... And I think that's a difficult thing for lots of people in on career ladders and, you know, telling themselves those kind of stories. It's like, okay, six more months of working with this boss, but then I know it'll be good for my career. Well, you know, mm. people really hunker down. And I've done this before where it's like been periods of my working life where I haven't necessarily enjoyed what I was doing then but I could see a higher yeah. reason for doing it and higher purpose so you're like you're it seems to me like you're quite intent on avoiding being in that sort of space I, I it works for me mm. I mean there's obviously balance I'm not going to say that I like love absolutely every moment of everything I do but I think it's important to not kid myself that like the th- I'm going to get to do the thing I love next week because it's just around yeah. the corner if I just yeah. do this now yeah because Particularly in the entertainment industry, there's no guarantee that it doesn't work like that. So I just decided, you know, like five years ago, like I have to make my life look like something that's going to be satisfying on a daily, mm. de- like daily basis, that I'm getting something really vibrant out of it that isn't to do with being on telly or playing packed out houses or, or being paid loads of money to yeah. do, you know. I mean, those things are all great, but the other stuff's great too. You know, I wouldn't get to do working with Refugee Radio in Brighton, you know, and doing an improv workshop charitable for, you know, a a bunch of refugees who um, are having a rubbish time Mm. and also landing somewhere where they're frightened to communicate because their English isn't really great. Yeah, I was going to ask, yeah, that's what just popped into my head was like, how do you do that when the language is a a tricky thing? There's loads of stuff you can do that's like non-verbal. Yeah. Um, you know, you just design it around those limitations. Huh. Same as like if you're doing a movement-based improv workshop and then someone comes in who's wheelchair-bound, mm. you know, I have to quickly do a kind of, oh, right, okay, we're not doing that then. Right, okay. And just rip it yeah. up. Yeah. But that, again, that's what I like about it. You work with people's, um, I don't want to say limitations. Well, sense. you work with, you start with where people are at, yeah. right, which I think we deal with quite a lot with, with Think Productive as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so... It's all about balance, and I think if I was shooting for the kind of big money, big uh, kudos things all the time, then I wouldn't get to do some of the most interesting stuff. Mm. So, you know, that's, that's a really nice reminder, I think, for lots of people is that often the stuff that's more interesting isn't the stuff that is chasing the big money or chasing the big sort of glory. No. You know, it's it's in the sort of the day to day and the slightly being, um, you know innovative or intricate with something that hasn't been tried before yeah absolutely I would love to just finish off by uh, just talking about um, fear and the nature of what you do to me getting on stage like and having done that after 10 weeks of classes whatever it's one of the reasons um, Shaz and I actually decided to do some improv in the first place and, and do some beginners improv courses was the whole thing of like confront something that is your biggest fear yeah. and I used to think my biggest fear around that sort of thing would have been stand-up comedy yeah and 
so that was sort of in my pipeline of things to just do a course in like never to do it like publicly yeah. or professionally but like, just there's something interesting about that but then the idea of you know stand-up comedy is that you have your lines and you know what you're going to say whereas yeah. like improv is like you're getting on stage with that line it was certainly the thing that I've one of the things I've done where I felt the biggest fear and I think that's probably the perception that a lot of people have when they talk to you about it and when you know if you're talking to friends and stuff I'd imagine they'd be like that just sounds like a really scary thing I wouldn't want to do it. so I'd love to know what scares you and what your biggest fears are um, dying alone being eaten by Alsatians <laughs> no that's just from Bridget Jones um, well here's the thing I find interesting it's the same it's the same I'm frightened of it too mm. I mean I, it, like loads of people come in and like, I'm coming to do this because I'm really frightened and I know I need to do something that scares me but what's interesting is um, once you've conquered something that frightened you that doesn't frighten you anymore but it just pops up somewhere else you know, mm-hmm. so or say you learn to improvise, but you know, for me, he's been doing it a long time. It just means that my brain can trick myself into staying safe, maybe taking less risks, or you know, not not doing something that I would find scary within that form forum of improvisation. You know, it might be something like trying a weird character that I've never done before that might go wrong, mm-hmm. as opposed to like you know, playing straight or you know whatever um so i just i think the fear just moves around it doesn't go away and like for me it's sort of like actually like identifying where the fear is and then going headlong into it mm. um because it's a little it's, it's the inner critic isn't it it's the yeah, little fucker completely. i think I, I think why does it frighten people so much that idea of like standing up and talking or doing comedy or, or doing improv it, is it isn't it about like looking stupid and I think it's that the yeah the fear of looking foolish is definitely a big part of it there's there's definitely a huge lizard brain yeah. element to that as well just that you know sort of the the nagging voice but I guess it all comes down to you know we don't as a species particularly like being judged or being yeah. uh on the edge of the tribe as opposed to in the middle of the tribe. And yeah. it's that, that's the sort of, mm. I think that's the energy that it often manifests itself in. Yeah. And I think, and I think that never goes away. Mm. So I think, um, but I love what you said there about, it's about for you feeling where that fear is and then running straight headlong into yeah. that and doing and right. I'm going to do a character that scares me more Yeah, because most people would back away from that. So how do you in those moments or as you're planning it, this might sound really wanky, but I think the thing I'm most scared of is feeling scared. And mm. the way to stop feeling scared is to barrel into the fear and just be like, I'm ready to fail. Yeah. And be okay with failing and yeah. be okay with being scared and be okay with things going wrong and accepting that there isn't really any such thing as wrong. It's just a different outcome from what you're expecting. I mean, this is what I tell people I facilitate all the time. So if I don't listen to it myself, then I feel like a fraud. Mm. So for me, it's about just being more scared, I suppose, because then you stay sharp. And I don't always achieve it. You know, I'm not saying I've nailed it, but certainly what I've experienced in my life and what I seem to have helped people experience is that thing of like, well, if I can do this, Mm. then I can move the goalpost a little bit further and I can shoot a little bit higher and do things I never thought I'd be able to do and also I cannot care if it doesn't happen and what's what's the next goalpost for you what's the next thing that you're scared of right now that you want to overcome I'm terrified about moving Mm -hmm. so I'm just about to move to London in June um after 18 years in Brighton 
Have you been in Brighton 18 years? Yeah, really long time. Hmm. Um, So that feels like a huge thing for me, which is terrifying. So I'm going to do it. (laughs) Um, And yeah, just sort of embracing it really, I suppose. I'm, I'm a bit worried about what that might do to my company in the shape of my company because yeah. obviously we're a lot based in Brighton so that that frightens frightens me but I think you know Brighton is not going to go anywhere and neither is the Mayday so I think yeah just sort of diving into the big old city really and seeing what opportunities come from that I've got a couple of mental projects <laughs> that I, I really want to tell you about but I, I actually cannot tell you on the oh, podcast really? well not on the podcast because one of them is confidential but okay. as soon as that microphone goes off <laughs> I have to tell you about this mad thing and I promise to not then put them into the, the you know the outro of the podcast at the end you can if you want I'll get in trouble but if it comes off it's bonkers um, and yeah I had this meeting last week it just reminded me again of like well, if that came off, I'd have to drop like loads of other stuff. So oh, wow. okay. I think when you feel stuck around stuff or something feels like it's a huge thing, then you just kind of have to step back with a bit of perspective and go, anything could happen next week, you know. Mm. Not just like I could get run over next week, but like what if I get a Hollywood contract next week and I become the new Scarlett Johansson, which let's face it is likely to happen. <laughs> you know, then all of a sudden everything's different all over yeah. again. So there's no ground. I mean, Yeah. And what I've loved about this is just your just that sense of being comfortable with unpredictability and chance and yeah. you know, thinking about that sort of broader question of yes and and like how you know how you how you how you answer other questions with the phrase yes and mm. and you know, just being open to those possibilities I think is just something I, I hope people will just find really inspiring. I hope so. I mean I just wanna be happy. Hmm. I think you do too, which I think is another thing that drives the the parallels between between what we do. But you know that kind of Buddhist, the, the four noble truths in Buddhism, like impermanence and death, and like they're all pretty dark, but they are true, right? Like hmm. everything changes; you can't control that stuff. So I just, you may as well get comfortable with it. And so, final final question: Are you happy now? Yeah. Yeah. I am. I'm a little bit tired today, um, <laughs> but I am. I am. And also um, happy, uh, happy about not being happy sometimes, you know? Like when you have bad days, being like, oh, you have to be happy all the time. Because I think my my brand, com <laughs> is like happiness. And that's something I've struggled with over the years. It's like you have to be happy all the time. And again, just accepting like, yeah, you know, you can't be happy all the time. That's fine. Yeah. But I, I think you definitely, I think part of how I would perceive your brand is just a sense of kind of unnerving and driving positivity, right? So like whether you're teaching or whether you're going, hey, this is big new bonkers project or whatever. Yeah. There's this kind of sense of just tackling those things really with just full enthusiasm and, and yeah, a full positive energy. So irritating. <laughs> I know some of my friends it's very are like, there as well. some of my friends are like, you are so infuriatingly enthusiastic. <laughs> like, That's okay. I could be positive about that. And then they just want to punch me, but I'm all right with that. <laughs> well, good. Well, I've loved chatting and just uh, before we finish, um, just tell everyone where they can find out more about the very many things you do. This might be a longer list than most people I interview. I know. Well, I think probably you could go to heathererkart.com and it would probably not be updated regularly enough because <laughs> I'm too busy to update my own website. Um, but the projects I do are um, yeah, themaydays.co.uk um, for the sort of musical experiments, Open Your Mouth and Sing, 
www.thepodcastmaker.co.uk and there's um, free podcasts and backing tracks uh, on that website as well um, uh, yeah I'm going to be touring with a show called 10,000 Million Love Stories for the next two months and then uh, you can see the showstoppers in the West End um, <laughs> it's too much <laughs> that'll do <laughs> So you are, so in some ways that that proves that you are beyond busy. Oh uh, dear, <laughs> terrible. So thanks to Heather for being part of Beyond Busy. I love that conversation. There were so many just just cool little bits that I'm going to be pondering and taking away and thinking more about. I loved her thing about yes anding other people and just that intuition that sometimes someone else just needs just needs somebody to just say this is going to be really cool do it to just make them get started and to just get over that that sort of lizard brain fear that that so many of us have over certain projects so i just love her intuitive sense of just spotting where that happens and just yes anding other people and and basically just making other people do stuff i just think is a really cool little thing loved her stuff about gratitude and just also love that thing about realizing that she was waking up every day and doing something that she loved and that that is success and i just think that's you know in in terms of this book which is going to be it's going to be about productivity and work life balance and how people define happiness and success and that to me feels like as good a definition as any right just if you can get up and do something you love for a living then you know that is success right so thanks again to Heather. Thanks also to Mark Stedman from Bloomsbury Digital for putting this together. And thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back in two weeks' time. I had a couple of tweets saying, where's the next episode uh, last week? And um, I had to go back and say, it's two weeks, guys. It's not coming out every week because I'm not insane. Like, I have other stuff to do. <laughs> so um, uh, these episodes will be coming out every two weeks. And you can find out more in the meantime at getbeyondbusy.com. What you'll find there is show notes. You'll find an FAQ page to help you subscribe and you'll find uh, all the, the previous episodes that you can link back through to. Uh, mention subscribing there. If you haven't subscribed already, just subscribe via iTunes, via Stitcher, whatever else you're using. And uh, the more you do that and the more you give uh, positive feedback and ratings within iTunes and everywhere else, the more it pushes it up the ranking. So it just means more people find it. So we'd really appreciate your help with that if you haven't already. Uh, as I say, the next episode is out in two weeks' time. Uh, and in the meantime, if you want to find out more about uh, me and what I do, please go to thinkproductive.com or thinkproductive.co.uk. And my book is How to Be a Productivity Ninja. I will see you in two weeks' time. Thanks again for being here for another episode of Beyond Busy. It's been a privilege having your attention, and I will see you very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.